Hey, how you doing? This is Steve, and you're listening to Rock's Not Dead, a place where we talk about old rock, new rock, and everything in between. We'll dive into the bands, the songs, the musicians, and we'll talk about some interesting things you might not have known about your favorite artists. At the end of every episode, we're going to talk about some new music that you really should be checking out. Today we're going to talk about a woman who broke the rock and roll shredder mold. She exploded on a male-dominated rock scene and showed that she was a force to be reckoned with. Her guitar prowess has inspired female musicians for years and showed the world of rock that women can shred with the best of them. We're talking about the rock and roll goddess herself, Lita Ford. So who was Lita Ford? Well, Lita was born Lita Rosanna Ford on September 19, 1958 in London, England. Her father, Harry Leonard Ford, was a British soldier and her mother, Isabella Benevido, was an Italian nurse. They lived in London until she was about in the second grade when they emigrated to the U.S. and made their home in Long Beach, California. Lita's love for music started when she received her first guitar at the age of 11. She says, I remember the first time I held the guitar in my hands. It was like a lightning bolt of passion. From that moment on, I knew I wanted to rock. Her mother said that she wrote her first song immediately after picking up the guitar. It was a Spanish piece, and her mother loved it. But soon, Lita heard Jimi Hendrix and the bands like Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin, and she knew that that was what she wanted to do. She wanted to rock. So five years later, at the age of 16, she was invited to join a band called The Runaways. Now, this band consisted of Lita on lead guitar, Sherry Curry on vocals, uh, Jackie Fox on bass, Joan Jett on guitar, and Sandy West on drums. They were all around 15, 16 years old, and it was a mix of the simple punk rock, hard rock that was coming out at that time, but with a twist where they had, it was an all-female band, and they were trying to mix in that teenage sex appeal in there, a little bit of the jailbait stuff. And this was the brainchild of a guy named Kim Foley, who was their producer and manager. They were pioneers breaking down barriers in the male-dominated rock scene, and their music still inspires female musicians today. They were signed to Mercury Records in 1976, and they released their first album called The Runaways. Sherry Curry said of Lita that she was a force to be reckoned with. Her talent and passion were unmatched, and they were like a band of sisters out to conquer the world. They went on tour in support of several bands like Cheap Trick, Van Halen, Talking Heads, and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Each one of the girls had their own stage presence. Lita's was fashioned after a combo of Jeff Beck and Richie Blackmore of Deep Purple. They released their second album, Queens of Noise, in 1977, and they went on a world tour to support the album. They were being lumped in with the punk rock movement that was happening right there in the mid-70s, and they formed bonds with bands like the Ramones and the Sex Pistols. In the summer of 1977, they embarked on a tour of sold-out shows in Japan where they were met by throngs of hysterical fans that Joan Jett compared to Beatlemania. While they were in Japan, they did several TV appearances and recorded a live album called Live in Japan, and it went gold. Unfortunately, the band was not free of controversy and troubles. Kim Fowley, the person that started everything, was known to have a lot of control over the girls. One night, after a gig at a after-party, Jackie Fox, the bass player, says she was given several quaaludes, which is a strong tranquilizer. And after that took effect, Kim Fowley 
and several other men at the party abused her and she was unable to do anything to stop it. Because of this terrible event, Jackie quit the band right away. Jackie said that most of the band, excluding Lita, was at the party, but they all deny seeing any wrongdoing. The tour continued without her. Joan took over bass until they returned back to the U.S., where they picked up a new bassist named Vicky Blue. This time, Sherry, who was struggling with substance abuse, decided to quit the band because she wanted to get out of that. There were also reports that she and Lita had a big blow up at a photo shoot where Lita kicked in the door. This all led to Sherry leaving. So Joan took over the vocals at this time and they released their fourth album called Waiting for the Night in 1977. They went on world tour in support of the Ramones after the release of the album. There started to be disagreements with management over money and the parents of the girls were upset because there were a lot of broken promises about how the schooling and other care was supposed to be taken care of. A lot of verbal abuse was happening towards the kids and they just lacked supervision. The band replaced Kim Fowley with Toby Mammoth, who had worked with Blondie. Because of the split, they lost their deal with Mercury, which was now Polygram Records, because they were tied to Kim Fowley. Side note, in 2005, a documentary was released called Edge Play, a film about the Runaways. This film addressed all the accusations of how the management was verbally and physically abusing the band members. In 1978, they released their final album entitled, And Now the Runaways. Vicky, the bass player, she left the band due to medical issues and she was replaced for a short time by another one named Lori McAllister. She came in November 1978 and left in January of 1979. The band was disagreeing over a lot of stuff, including the musical direction, and they couldn't come to any agreement. So they played their final live show on December 31st, 1978 at the Cow Palace in San Francisco. They officially disbanded in April of 1979, but there was a lot of bad blood between all the members. Now, side note, in 2010, there was a movie released called The Runaways, which focused on mostly Joan Jett and Sherry Curry, uh, but it did give some insight to all the different things that they were dealing with in the band. After leaving The Runaways, Lita started taking voice lessons because she wanted to sing and play as good as any man. She took odd jobs to support herself, such as working at a gas station or she sold perfume, and she was a fitness instructor. She also lived with future Motley Crue bassist Nikki Six for a time, and uh, she says they lived on macaroni and cheese. That's what they ate. In 1982, Lita signed with Polygram Records as a solo artist, and she released her first album, Out for Blood, in 1983. The songs were reminiscent of The Runaways, but heavier, and showed off Lita's lead playing and vocal abilities. The songs aren't bad, but they didn't do well. The album just wasn't a very good success. Her next album, Dancing on the Edge, was released in 1984. It did a lot better in the, in the markets. Uh, it had some of my favorite songs on there. Gotta Let Go starts it off, and it sets the mood for the album. It's a pretty rocking song. This was the first album I ever got by Lita Ford, and I loved it. And I still listen to it. There's some great songs on here. Fire in My Heart reached the top 10 in several countries outside the U.S. And Gotta Let Go was the next single that was released. And it did even better than Fire in My Heart. During this time, Lita was engaged to Tony Yomi for a short time. He produced a never-released album for her called The Bride Wore Black. 
Unfortunately, it is said there was a lot of bad blood between them. Tony got physically abusive towards her multiple times in their relationship, so they didn't last. After this, Lita met and started dating Chris Holmes, who was the lead guitar player for the band Wasp. And about this time, she signed with RCA Records, and she hired Sharon Osbourne's management company to manage her career, which was a good move for her. If you don't know it, Sharon Osbourne is the wife of Ozzy Osbourne. Now, Lita, at this time, she decided to change her image a bit. She became more sex appeal. She was dressing more sexy, shorter skirts, stuff like that, showing off her body. And she was turning heads. In 1988, she released her self-titled album, Lita. And this included some big hits called Kiss Me Deadly or Falling In and Out of Love, which was co-written by Nikki Six, or Close My Eyes Forever, which was a ballad, probably her biggest song ever, that she sang with Ozzy Osbourne. This song hit number eight on the Billboard charts. I will say there's not a song on that album that's disappointing. It's a great album. Her next album, called Stiletto, was released in 1990, and it contained two singles, Hungry and Lisa. The latter was dedicated to her mother. Now, while this album had some great songs, it just failed to match the success of the previous Lita album. Her next album was called Dangerous Curves. It was released in 1991. It contained the last single that hit the charts called Shot of Poison. Not a bad song. It's a pretty good song. Her final album of the 90s was called Black. And it was released in February of 95, but it didn't make much of an impact. At this time, Lita's style of rock was giving way to the grunge movement that was growing. And that's probably why there wasn't a lot of interest in the album. Lita married Chris Holmes in June of 1990, and they divorced in July of 1992. Chris was an alcoholic, and she said she had to pick up his six-foot-six frame off the street several times when he had too much to drink. She shared a story which she deemed as pretty cool on the Eddie Trunk show um, about a domestic incident between her and Chris, and it sums up the volatile relationship that they had. She said apparently Chris was angry with her and in a drunken fit decided he'd take a baseball bat and beat up her washer and dryer. When she came home and she saw what he had done, she told him it's an eye for an eye and she grabbed his favorite guitar and took it out in the middle of the street and smashed it up. She said the only thing he asked her was, are the pickups okay? That's an example of their relationship. Lita then met Jim Gillette, the lead singer for Nitro in 1994 and the two married after knowing each other just two weeks now they've had two kids james was born in 1997 and rocco was born in 2010. lita decided to take a break from music and focus on her family they moved the family to the turks and caicos islands which is about 600 miles southeast of miami florida and jim started a con construction and real estate development business Lita stayed home with the kids. She homeschooled them for several years, and that's what she focused on. She focused on just being a mom. Around 2009, Lita released an album of new material called Wicked Wonderland, which she did with her husband, Jim. She says that's not a true Lita album. It's actually a Jim and Lita album because it's inspired by new metal. It's pretty heavy, and she was trying to fit into something that just wasn't comfortable for her. In 2011, she told the fans, she said, look, I'm in the works for a brand new true Lita album. It's coming out. Jim and Lita were married for 16 years and they divorced in 2011. 
Their problem started when Jim was shopping around a new reality show idea in the style of the Osbournes called the Gillettes and Extreme American Family. Now, Lita says that she took a business trip to go meet with the network execs. When she got back, Jim wasn't talking to her. The boys weren't talking to her. Not at all. And she says she thinks that this happened because she was taking a more active role in the development of the series. Things progressed from there. It got really ugly in the house and she sought a divorce. This divorce was far from amicable. And Lita says that Jim took every opportunity during the divorce to turn her boys against her. She says that he would tell them continually about how terrible of a person she was and how terrible of a mom she was. And this really hurt her relationships with the boys. She said that in court documents, he said that she wasn't taking the prescribed medication she's supposed to be taking, which she says is absolutely ridiculous. The courts believed him. And after everything was said and done, she had absolutely no visitation rights to the boys whatsoever. After the divorce, she had no idea where they were at. And once she found out that they were no longer in the island, she hired four or five investigators to try to track them down. She says that the Ho Convention, which is a treaty that was designed to protect kids in inter-country adoptions, was working against her, preventing her from finding out anything. She says it took her nine years to find out that they were living in Tennessee. Now, Jim says that all of her accusations are untrue. He has legal sole custody of the kids, and she signed the order that she wasn't even allowed to see them. So he's saying that she agreed to all this up front. He says the things that she was doing and saying was really making it hard on the family and causing a big riff. James, her oldest boy, released a statement in Metal Sludge in 2015, claiming that Lita was a child abuser, violent and threatening, and always trying to make the boys turn against their father. He says that they were scared of her and didn't know if she could kill them in a fit of rage. That's why they didn't want to be around her. Lita did get to see the boys in 2018 after she filed paperwork to try to get visitation of her youngest son, who was now 17. They were in mediation. She saw the boys. It didn't go the way she wanted it to go. They were accusing and yelling and there was a lot of back and forth and it just didn't go well. I hope for all their sakes that eventually they can reconcile sometime soon. While all this was happening, Lita started a parent and alienation awareness Facebook page and she shares stuff there. She shares stuff for her kids like birthday wishes and stuff like that, because that's the only way she can attempt to talk to them. And she does reach out to other women who have gone through similar experiences. It allows them to share their experiences as well. Lita released a new album called Living Like a Runaway in June of 2012 on Steamhammer Records. As she promised, it was much more in line to a true Lita record. The name also recognized the reconciliation she had had with the former members of the Runaways band. In 2014, Lita was honored with the Certified Legend Award from Guitar Player Magazine. In 2016, she released Time Capsule. It was a collection of songs she'd found on analog tape recordings from the 80s that she had done with multiple different musicians like bassist Billy Sheehan, who played with David Lee Roth and Whitesnake. Also Gene Simmons and Bruce Kulick of Kiss. She also played with Robin Zander and Rick Nielsen of Cheap Trick and many others. 
Lita has done other things besides recording and touring as well. In 1992, Lita was seen as a regular guitarist in the house band for the Howie Mandel Show. She also had a bit part in the 1992 horror movie Highway to Hell. Uh, It's a pretty campy movie. Her likeness and her voice is in the game Brutal Legend, along with Jack Black, Tim Curry, Ozzy Osbourne, Rob Halford, and others. Her song Betrayal is also one of the featured songs in the video game. In 2013, she reunited with Sherry Curry from The Runaways, and they recorded a Christmas single that tied to the work they were doing for Toys for Tots, which is a U.S. Marine Corps charity that provides toys to children in need at Christmas time. In 2014, she narrated the lifeblood and rhythm of Randy Castillo. She appeared on the cooking competition show Chopped, hoping to win $10,000 for her charity, but she was eliminated in the second round. She also released her autobiography called Living Like a Runaway, a memoir in June of 2016. In 2018, she and Jim Cara started Lita for Guitars, which creates guitars and experiences for fans and other players. So what's next for Lita? Well, she's got a new album planned for release in March of 2024, and it has Gary Hoey as producer, and he plays on some of the tracks. She wants to do a theatrical rock guitar opera type show to put it out on tour and hopes that's going to happen in late 2024. So watch for it. I'm pretty sure both things will rock. Lita's screaming licks, rock and songwriting, and Devil May Care attitude has inspired female artists for years and will for years to come. She has shown that women can rock just as hard as the guys, and this shows in people she's inspired, such as Lizzie Hale of Hailstorm, Alicia Deemner of Stitched Apart, and Emma Anzai of Sick Puppies. Lita is a true rock goddess, and I hope that her personal issues with her kids get reconciled soon and i hope she keeps rocking for years to come because we got to have our rock goddesses you know what i mean she's awesome now for some new music you should really be checking out i'm going to suggest hailstorm's 2022 release back from the dead lizzie hill's vocals are just amazing as always the songs rock and it is sure to satisfy from the heavy title track to the powerful ballad raise your horns it's an amazing ride i'm sure you're going to enjoy Their entire catalog is awesome. My favorite song is from their 2012 release, The Strange Case Of. The song is I Miss the Misery. I love that song. It is so cool. So go check them out. Check out their other stuff. I think you're going to enjoy it. Let me know what you think. Thanks for hanging out with me. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. If you did, come back next time. Leave me a comment. Let me know what you think. And if there's somebody you'd like me to check out, let me know. I'll be happy to do one for you. So until next time, no matter what anybody tells you, rock's not dead. Take care.